You flip open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 25 through 35. Acts 8, 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, of the court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to worship at Jerusalem and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. A documentary is a movie, television, or radio program that seeks to uh, inform or report, or, or report on a person, a place, or thing. You probably already know that because you're probably like me, many of you at least, you like a good documentary. You like almost anyone, even if you're not a big movie watcher, you don't watch much TV, you can get into a program that really dives into something that you find particularly fascinating to you. And especially right now with all the different documentaries, with the different streaming websites going on, it seems like there's different documentaries or programs or specials on pretty much any interest you might have, on, on any person or celebrity or athlete that you, you admire, you look up to, there's probably a special on him or her. Or maybe it's even a place, a national park or a building or somewhere, somewhere in this world or even out of this world, there's probably a documentary on that and even things. I remember growing up, one of the shows that would come on when I got home from school is How It's Made. I don't know why I found that show so captivating, because it's great nap um, television. But there are documentaries on just how things are made, right? Last year, we all, and you probably are thinking of ones that you like or ones that you've enjoyed watching in the past. We're all familiar, familiar with what documentaries are and, and why we enjoy them and what they can do as we watch them. Over this past year, at, throughout the pandemic and just different times off, I've been really enjoying some documentaries. There's some really big ones that have come out and things that I've really enjoyed learning more about. And one thing I've realized about documentaries is that they really have two aspects. They have two big components that make them captivating or make them interesting. They kind of make them work. And the first one is it has a good story, right? about the person or the place or the thing, but it has to have a good story. And the second thing is it has a good how or to ask a good why. I remember uh, sometime last year, if I can, uh-oh, I think I'm on up here. 
No, there we go. Well, I guess I'm doing that every time I do the slide. Um, I remember this is a great documentary that came out last year. If you're in, into the NBA or into any sports at all, you may have watched this and enjoyed it. It has a great story of one of the most successful basketball players. You might say the most, right? We're not getting into that debate. It has a great story, but then it really the interesting part about it is the how. How did he rise to that level of fame? How did he rise to that level of success? One that I've been enjoying lately. Oh, okay, I was about to do the behind the back again. Is a Netflix special called The Movies That Made Us. They go behind the scenes and they kind of say, okay, this is a movie that was a generational hit in the 80s or 90s, something that a lot of us grew up with. How was that movie made? What was the behind the scenes? It's so interesting to find out how often movies almost weren't made or things that finally kind of fell into place that went into that. So it might be about a sport. It might be about a piece of media like a movie that you've enjoyed watching. Or maybe it's something that's more historical. Maybe you're like me that you can dig into anything that Ken Burns puts out, right? A good history you know, biopic or something, so what we're digging into, maybe it's just the national parks, maybe it's a whole world war, or maybe it's a smaller event, but pretty much anything he puts out is amazing to watch and to look through his lens or look through his research and to see how he tells a story. And I remember this September, I think it was the 13th, Ben and I had come to work, um, I guess it was the 12th because of when the date happened. And we had just gotten back, and we had not watched this together, but us and our wives had both separately had watched this kind of newer 9-11 documentary that had come out this year. And without even both, you know, obviously it was the 20th anniversary, and it's on everybody's minds, but we came to work the next day without even really bringing it up, us just started talking about it. Because often what makes a good documentary is, it's not just something that informs you, right? Any television show, any book, any newspaper article, that can inform you. But what makes a good documentary really good is, is it goes above just informing, it inspires. The how, in, in Ken Burns' war you know, documentaries, or the 9-11 one that a lot of us have seen, or the, the many ones that there are, the how, how did men and women rise up and become heroes in, in those moments? A good documentary, yes, it tells a good story, yes, it it asks a good how, but mainly a good documentary inspires those who watch it to do more, to be more, to appreciate more what other people have done. And I think it's in that way and and in that similarity that our Western media, this kind of new modern documentaries, right, can find a similarity with the ancient Near Eastern text. Because when we look at the story of Acts, what we see is really a, a literary documentary. You may want to just call it a book. But for today's purpose, I'm calling it a literary documentary of an amazing story that asks a really good question of how. And it goes beyond just informing us how, but it inspires us to do more. You see, the story of Acts is the story of the church. Her start at Pentecost, her first battle with persecution, and the unbelievable growth she has throughout the first few decades. And the how, quite obviously, is God, right? The, the first and only how that the church owes her growth to is to her creator, right? Her, to, to God himself. But the interesting part of the how in that sense is how God decided to create and to sustain and to grow the church in the book of Acts. 
And that's through working, working through simple, ordinary men and women like you and me. They were given amazing gifts. At the end of the day, they were simple men just like you and me. And God used them, and that was the how. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts, and this is a series that Kyle started a couple months ago. And we've been looking at, starting in chapter 1, I think we're going to end around Acts chapter 13. So we're near the end of this look into it, but we've been asking one question. How does this help us with go and do? Because this was a, go and do is more than just a theme of 2021, right? It started out as an idea, this is, this is what we wanted to be our focus for 2021. But as we've grown into it, and, in, and, and while we were planning it, we realized this is, an, this is going to be a part of our identity moving forward. These events that we have, we want going forward to the next year. And so Kyle started a series so that we as a congregation can look at the most successful group of men and women who went and did and ask ourselves and to see, not just to be informed of how these men and women did it, but to be inspired to go and do in the same ways. And like a, God, like a good documentary, the book of Acts kind of chooses to focus on certain people as, they move, as the timeline moves on. Chapters 1 through 13 were mainly following uh, Peter, right? I've, I've had people describe it as the book of Acts is almost like Luke has a camera. And wherever he goes, wherever he's spotlighting, that's where he's going where the church is growing, right? And so the first half of the book of Acts are really kind of getting into the details of Peter and his, and his trips and the things that he's getting into. And then we have, the, we have the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9, but especially in Acts chapter 13, the book seems to really transition focus on to Paul, that fiery convert that's going to start taking the church on her first mission trips with Barnabas and his companions that would go along with him. But today, we're going to look at a man that falls kind of in between Peter and Paul. We're going to look at a man that is a bit of a blip on, on, on the history timeline, a bit of a blip on the growth of the church, but nonetheless, I feel like we can learn a lot from him. We've been called not just by a 2021 theme, but we've been called by God himself to go and do in our lives. And my goal today with the time that we have is to look at Philip in Acts chapter 8, the, one that we looked at, you know, the man that we looked at last week in Kyle's lesson, the first part of Acts, and as we dig back into Acts today, and to ask, to look and see how he went and did, and see how we can do that ourselves. Let's reread Acts chapter 8. Let's dig back into the text. Let's start with verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken to the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, and were preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up. And go south to the road that ascends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? The first thing I really noticed about Philip is that he understood that there was no task too small. And I had never really kind of looking into it while Kyle, while Kyle was going into his lesson as we were kind of getting back into this idea of who Philip was. And as I was studying this lesson the past few weeks, kind of 
found out a little bit more or, or discovered more about Philip that, I, that I, I didn't know, right? And that's the beauty of God's Word. That a man that I was reading about in sixth grade, and a man that I've been reading about now for the past 12, 15 years, I'm still learning so much more about. As we grow, God's Word kind of grows with us. We always are finding new aspects and new things, just like that was mentioned by Brother Bowling and in the Lord's separate comments. And one thing I noticed about Philip on this round of studying was what he was used to doing before this calling. Look back at Acts chapter, five, or Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint rose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, and we may put in the charge of this task. Verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let's look at the first two men. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. So at the, at the onset, at the beginning of Philip's calling, we see that he's called out in an overcrowded area, right? The apostles are needing help because so many people. The congregation has grown so large and the need is so big that the apostles just quite simply cannot make ends meet. They can't do all the praying and studying that they need to do while also serving on the tables and helping and doing all the work. So they call a certain group of men to help with the work. And so the first time we really get to see Philip on scene here is in a moment where he's serving in a big way, in a very open, in a very um, public manner. He's going around serving tables to quite possibly hundreds of thousands of people. And the next time we see Philip is in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 8 in the context that, that Kyle spoke to last week. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, this is after the persecution of Stephen, the death of Stephen. Therefore those who had been scattered went and preached the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So the second idea of what Philip is doing is he's starting to engage in, once again, a very large work. He goes into another huge populous city. He just left Jerusalem where the church is busting at its seams, and he's doing as much in a big possible way there. And now he's being called to Samaria, and he's serving a big public and in a large way there. Look down at verses 11 through 13. And they were giving him attention because, speaking about Simon, he had a long time astonished them. But look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon, this prominent man that we had studied last week, believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Philip's a big deal. In Jerusalem... When the apostles need a little, bit, a little bit of help, only a handful of men or, or names are put up. Out of thousands that could be chosen, Philip is one of the only men who serves in that capacity. And now he's leading a revival in some would say almost a pagan city. He's serving in a big, popular, he is, he is, whether he wants to be or not, he is in the spotlight yet again, serving in a big way in the city of Samaria. Now let's look back at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, 
speaking about Philip here, and were preaching the gospel to many village of the Samaritans. Every moment we get to see Philip in Acts. He's living in a big city. Next time we'll see him in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. He's living in a big city and serving in big ways. But what does God call him? What does an angel of the Spirit of the Lord come and call him here in this context? The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that ascends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Some of your translations, I'm reading from the New American, and it says desert road, but some of your translations may say it's a deserted place. God is calling Philip to serve in a desolate, out-of-nowhere street path leading south of Jerusalem over to the coast to Gaza. Some, like I said, some translations may say deserted. Either way, it's a path not many are on. In Acts chapter 8, verse 27, he got up and went. He instantly went, no hesitation. And I find that admirable. I find that in a, with a man who is always serving in big ways and very upfront, in the spotlight ways, as soon as God calls him to go to somewhere where no one is, where no one's going to be, there's going to be no glory, there's going to be no... There's not going to be a crowd. God says, I need you to go down this desolate area, and I need you to serve me over here. I find it admirable that Philip was so willing to take on such a small, possibly insignificant task, even though he was used to serving in such bigger ways. Other men failed at this. We look at the prophet of Jonah when God called him, to, he just didn't want to go to Nineveh. When God was asking Jonah to turn and go in a certain direction, Jonah said, you know, absolutely not. If you want me to go east, I'm going dead west, right? Philip could have said, you know, I just don't want to go in that area. I don't want to serve in that way. I, I, I'm more comfortable serving these tables over here. I'm more comfortable serving in Samaria, God. I don't want to go to this desolate area that possibly I've never been to. I don't want to go to this area where who knows what's going on. Or he could have been like the rest of the apostles. So many times when Christ was still alive, the apostles, and this is so backwards, when they're sitting at the feet of Christ, what are they arguing about? Who's the greatest? Who's the best among them? Philip could have quite easily said, God, this is below me. If you need me to go back, you mean you go to Antioch? I could go to Antioch. What if I just stay here in Samaria where all the crowds are? Would you want me to go back to Jerusalem? I'll go back to Jerusalem and serve in that way. You want me to go down this dirt path where maybe there might be one truck? Yet Philip still went. So what made Philip different than other men? What made his mindset be this way to which as soon as God is calling him to do this, he said yes and he got up and went? The first thing I think about is that he understood the value of others. Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 5, remember the context that comes before this. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Remember the context. This is not just, okay, on Tuesday, the Christians said, you know what, we'd like to leave Jerusalem. We're going to, we're going to scatter out now. You guys go over here. We're going to go over here. And we're going to start this re revival all around the area. No, they're being pushed out of Jerusalem because people are being killed. Stephen was the first one mentioned in Acts chapter 6, but Philip was the second one. 
It's quite possible while Stephen was being stoned, Philip was just a couple of streets over. It's quite possible that while Stephen was being stoned, Philip was in the crowd, there to defend Stephen, there to listen to his lesson, there with him to stand with his brother. And if he wasn't there, he obviously knows what happened to his brother. And yet it's at this moment, when people are being stoned to death, people are being cast out and killed in Jerusalem, it's in this moment that he stands up to start speaking. It's quite obvious that he understood the value of others. This might be a moment where people start shrinking away, right? When true persecution comes, that's when people start to kind of fade back into the backgrounds, right? We all know sports fans in our life. When their team starts losing, they kind of start to, you don't see the post as often, right? You don't see that bright colored t-shirt, you know, every day at work. Or you don't see, you don't hear the comments out of the mouths as often. Once their team starts to kind of go through a bit of a rough patch, right? right. We may, we've all been there too. In a moment where it almost would have made sense for Philip to say, okay. In Acts chapter 6, all he really needed me was to serve tables. And I can't serve tables now because I'm not in Jerusalem. He could have just faded into the background of history and we'd have never heard of Philip again, maybe. But Philip understood the value of others. And as soon as the scattering started, what does he do? He stands up and he starts speaking. As soon as Stephen is silenced, Philip starts to open his mouth and starts to preach. He quite simply just understood the value of the people around him. And I wonder if we do at times. I wonder if we just completely miss the value of other people sometimes in our life. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. You can see one verse highlighted. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any uh, affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Philip was put into a situation where he was risking his life to speak up about Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 says, Look around and regard others as more important. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important, right? Look back at verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. For some reason, Christ saw me 2,000 years ago in his ultimate wisdom and all-knowing, right? He saw Jay Hall and all his imperfections and all, his, all my weaknesses. And he said, hey, that's, he's worth it. He's worth my time. He's worth my energy. He's worth my life. 
and he looked at it, and he looked into the future and he, and he knows all the past, present, and future and he looked at you and he said, you know what, it's worth it to come down and to give my time, energy, and effort. It's not the spotlight. It's not the easiest route. It's not going to be the most comfortable decisions I've ever made, but it's worth it because people are valuable. And how sad is it that we who have received that value to other people, how sad is it that we who sit in neighborhoods don't see it worthy of our time to get to know our neighbors and divide them into, into a congregation like this? How sad is it that we could work with people, school with people, live our lives alongside people, and not see them as valuable enough to speak up and to show them the same value that Christ has given to us? How sad is it that when we who have received that value fail to put that to other people? Do you see other people as valuable? Because if you do, then there's no, sm there's no task too small that you want to accomplish. There's no task too small that you're too good for, or it, it's going to take too much time off your hands. The neighbor that's next, to, that's next to you, that nice comment you can say, the basket you can bring over, you can, you can throw out. There's no task too small that may not leave a huge impact if you'll just see them as valuable. And that goes to the people we're working with, we're going to school with, the people we're living alongside with in our homes and our families. If we'll just see them as valuable, then everything will become worth it. From the large, grand, biblical discussions that we may have to have with them to the small task that end up winning them over. Second thing we see from this is his own, he understood his own ability. In Acts 6, what is Philip called to? He's called to serve tables. He's called to wait tables. What, but what does he do in Acts chapter 8? He's preaching. Now, I, I can't prove that maybe Philip was called because he was a great preacher. Maybe he was called chapter 6, because he was already a really good speaker. And we can't prove that th throughout this whole time he was preaching, but I find it interesting that when we get to know Philip, he's a servant. And then when we really see him in action, what's he, what is he doing? He's going out of his comfort zone. He's going out of the thing that we're used to seeing him in, and he's preaching. How many tasks do we look over and say, that's just not, that's just not me, right? How many times... I can tell you how many times I have been guilty of saying that. That's just not, that's not my strong suit, so I, I'm just, that's not what I'm good at, so I'm not going to kind of dig into that, right? I think any time I even think about leading a song, that's my mindset. Philip said, yes, this, is what, this, is what, this, this isn't what I was called to, but this is what's needed right now. He understood his abilities. He understood ultimately that God was working with him, and God was working through him. In between these great times where he's preaching, we see God doing amazing things through the hand of Philip. If we'll allow God to do amazing things through us, then I think just, just how far our abilities can go will even surprise ourselves. There's no task too small. There's no task too different than something you're used to. Maybe you're not a Bible teacher, or maybe you've always just thought that, right? We're in great need of elementary Bible teachers right now. Maybe this is a time you say, you know what, this isn't my strong suit, this is what I feel like I'm called to, but this is a way I, that's needed, so I'm going to serve in that way. We've got a holiday meal coming up. We still have a coat drive that, that are being delivered 
find ways that maybe are just different than you're used to serving, that are different outside of your skill set that is comfortable to you, and say, this is how I can serve. That's why no, no task was too small fulfilled, because he understood his abilities. And then third to this point is he understood who was asking. Ultimately, why did Philip go? Why did Philip go down a deserted desert pathway where potentially no one would have been on? It's because, well, God asked him. Right? He understood when God comes knocking, you answer. And simply said, how amazing would it be if that was our simply just behaved like Philip in Acts chapter 8, how different would this, would our lives be? When we saw what God asked of us, when we read his commands, understood his, when we understood his expectations, and we simply did it. How would that change your life right now? If you in your life responded like Philip did, no hesitations, no excuses, no questions. God has called, God has asked, therefore I will answer. How, much would, how, how, different, would be your, how, how different would your home life be? How different would your workplace environment sound? How different would the pews be this Sunday morning? How different would it be the next time we have a go and do event? What's the difference we could make as a body of believers if we just simply answered like Philip. God, we see that you're asking God. We see that you're commanding God. We understand your expectations and therefore we will answer. There is no task too small, too trivial, too insignificant. No, the content or the context wasn't important to his calling. He just answered it. Philip understood, and he got to work. The second thing, there's only two points today. No job is too small when it serves a bigger purpose. That was ultimately what I think Philip understands in the first part. He goes from creating revivals in whole cities to quite simply converting one man. From preaching, converting almost all of Samaria... to converting one man in one chariot in one afternoon. Now we would know from Irenaeus in the second century that according to legend, this Ethiopian unit would go back and spread the gospel all through parts of Africa. Philip understood that there's no job too small when it serves a bigger purpose. And I wonder how different this church, your life, your homes, your works would be if we understood that no job is too small if it serves a bigger purpose. Would our homes be different if we had those biblical, if we had those Bible studies, if we had those conversations, if, if our, our families, our, our kids, our, our people that we live with heard the name of Christ come out of our lips more often on Sundays and Wednesdays? Would the church be different if it was not the 80-20 rule, right? Would the church look different if we said, there's a need right there, therefore I'm going to do it no matter if at the trash, sweep, sweeping up this area right here, you know, taking this person from A to B, whatever it may be, if we saw that there's no job too small, if it served a bigger purpose, how different would things be? The second point is I feel like Philip understood 
understood where to start. Let's look back at verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of scripture which he, was re- which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer it is silent. So it does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life, was, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture. He preached Jesus to him. I think that the second amazing thing we see about Philip is he knew exactly where to start. From the, from the beginning, God, we just see that God is calling him to go to this area. God is calling him to go to this chariot. And the first thing he does back in verse 30 is, Do you understand what you are reading? He gets down to a need. He drills down to something that this man, this eunuch, is needing, and that is a certain bit of, it, bit of information according to the text that he's reading. And within a few short comments, he instantly can see, okay, this is where Jesus can fit into this man's life. This is the need, this is the hole in this man's life that Jesus fills. And so he starts there. And that's, it's what, that, and that's a method we see all the time in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 17... 22 through 23, Paul pretty much has a layover in the city of Athens, and he's there and he realizes that there's an altar to an unknown God, and so he says, this is where I'm going to start. This need that these, the, the Athenians have right here, this need that the Romans have to, to, to worship a God just in case they miss someone, and I'll, I'll address that need, and I'll go from there. And there's no one better than Jesus himself who, who was an amazing, has an ama- had an amazing ability to start with someone's need and then address the spiritual needs in their life. You have John chapter 6, you have a, a, a crowd of, of, th- of starving thousands of men and women. And so he starts with that need. Healing the stomach, right? And then he introduces the bread of life conversation. In Luke chapter 19, he sees a man climbed up in a, in, climbed up in a tree, and he sees that he's an outcast, he's a tax collector, and he says, Zacchaeus, today I eat with you. He saw a social, emotional need of acceptance and inclusion. He said, I'll start there, and then I'll preach. And in Mark chapter 5, he, goes, he runs into a demon possessed, into an unclean woman, to a daughter who dies just a moment before he gets there, and he addresses all the needs of the mind, the heart, and the body, all before he gets to the concept of the soul, and what they need from him, healing to the soul. And he addressed all their needs, and that opened the door to where they needed him in their lives. And I wonder what would happen if we had the same mindset, if we had all the needs in our life, all the problems in our life, and said, how would Jesus be the answer to this? What is the need of Christ in this issue at this moment? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Quite simply, Jesus is the answer to every need in our lives, right? But not only Jesus, but the church is the answer to a need that we have in our lives. And when we can get people to understand that, those that are not here with us this morning, not just, not, not just worshiping online, but those that have decided maybe not to come back, or those that you have in your mind right now that have never darkened the door to this building or any Christian, 
those people. When we When we can get them to realize how Jesus answers and this church answers a need and they're a desperate need in their life, when we can get them to realize that, that's when they'll hear. That's when they'll show up and say, okay, how, can, how is this the answer to my needs? We've all experienced that, right? We've all experienced how the church has filled gaps in our life. We've all lost loved ones, had hardships, went through different things, had, had great moments of, of rejoicing, and we've had the church to be there alongside of us all the way. Some of us who have needed different people in different ways have them in this room. Mentors, shoulders to lean on, ears to vent to. The church quite simply, fits every need that we have. And if we'll treat her like that, and if we'll treat God like that, like He's the answer to all of our needs, then we'll truly start to understand just how much we need Him in every aspect of our lives. When we're talking to other people and we're trying to, to be influential in people's lives. And when we can get people to see how much they need the church, they need the creator of this universe, need God himself in their life, that's when they'll be here. And I think that's what Philip does here. He drills down to, okay, what is, how does this man need Jesus? What is it that he is craving for? What bit of information, knowledge, emotional, mental, physical, social need that he is missing that Jesus could be the answer? Once I figure that out, then boom, I've got him. And that's what we see. We see just moments later, they, they, they pass upon a body of water, and, and the eunuch says, oh, well, how about here, right? Just that short of time. Jesus is the answer to all of our needs. Philip understood where to start. Okay, we'll stop there. I'm not touching that again. We've been looking at the story of Acts because it addresses the go and do mentality. We're never going to find a better example. We're never going to find a better calling to how go and do. Not only is it just an aspect of the church, but it is the story of the church. And today we looked at the story of Peter, the life of Peter, and we saw two simple things. No task, no calling was too small for a very great man. And because he was willing to go do small things, great things were able to be accomplished. Because he saw one soul as being worth it, great things were able to be accomplished. And then we were able to see, and this is the that's the beauty of a documentary, right? That's the beauty of getting able to dig in into a minute level where we can say, how did he do that? What was the method? And he didn't use some sales pitch. He didn't use some, you know, some conversational aspect. He quite simply just said, how does this man need Jesus, and how can I get to meet that need today? Those two things, willing to do small stuff, willing to, willing to go out of the way, get out of the light, and do the small work, the hard, tedious work at times, because he was willing to do that, and because he addressed a need in a man's life, it ended with a soul being added to the book of life. A soul being added to the flock, to the family of God. And it makes me think, and I've been asking this the whole time, what would happen if we just simply did the same thing in our lives? 
if we saw no task too small, if we were willing to dig in and do the dirty work, if we were willing to get in, get our elbows dirty, and do the things that maybe we're guilty of saying that's below me. Maybe we're guilty of saying I'm too busy for that. Maybe we're guilty of saying that's just, that's just not, that's not who I am, right? I'm not a teacher, I'm not a song leader, I'm not, I, I can't cook, I, whatever it may be, it's just not my skill set, so I, I can kind of be excused from that, right? If we can get over those obstacles, and serve in big ways by doing small tasks. And if we'll start addressing all the problems in our life by saying, how can Jesus fit the need in this area? It can happen. As I close, and, uh, and I'll, I'll just say this very quickly, I didn't spend much time talking about the Ethiopian eunuch today at all. I didn't address what he was reading. I didn't address where he was going, who he was. But I do want to say this. And I want to applaud him almost just as much as I've been complimenting Philip today. Because we've we've been able to learn a lot from Philip. But we can take a lot away from the eunuch. And I'm not about to have a second sermon on him, I promise. But he was willing to do small stuff too. And you know what he was willing to do? He was willing to make it known what he needed. When Philip, when a stranger approached his car... Think about how we've all been there, right? When a stranger walked up to his chariot and asked him kind of a probing question, hey, understand what you're reading? He was open, he was honest, he said, how can I when I have no one to, to explain this to me? He was willing to open up and say, Philip, this is what I need. This is where I'm lacking. He's willing to expose himself just that little bit enough and say, this is what I need. And because of that, because of what God was doing in these two men, because of what Philip was willing to engage in, but also because of what the eunuch was willing to open up about, to talk about, we have the end result of him being baptized. And we have this legend of him going on and spreading the gospel to almost all of Africa. Today, what small task, what small thing have you been overlooking? What small aspect in your life have you been putting off that maybe just needs addressing? addressing? And maybe you just need prayers with that, right? You just need your family, which is why we're here, to just say, we're here for you, we're praying for you, we don't need to know the details, we're just, we want to be there with you. What maybe small thing have you just been putting off, not opening up about, whatever it may be, that's just been eating away at you? And then what need can Jesus answer in your life? The eunuch knew what he needed. And therefore he could have that need met as quick as that that conversation could get over with. When you take inventory of your life, what is it that you're missing? What is it you're lacking? Is it comfort? Is it peace? Is it understanding? Is it acceptance? Is it courage? What, What is it? And how can Christ be the answer to that need? Today, if there's any small task we can help you with, if there's any need we can connect you to Jesus with, let us know as we stand and sing.